Here's the Bead Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, September 2nd, and today, Dylan Byers joins me to talk about the fallout from CNN firing media anchor Brian Stelter. Who on the talent roster might be next? And Dylan also shares his insight on why the Washington Post is facing some financial struggles, even as their rival, the New York Times, surges. And later on, will Trump go to jail? Executive editor Ben Landy and Puck's legal expert Eric Gardner discuss the latest twists in the FBI's investigation into Trump's hoarding of classified and top secret materials at Mar-a-Lago. Can the Justice Department prove he committed a crime? And even if they did, would Merrick Garland have the stones to charge him? We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy friday everybody hope you're getting ready for a fun holiday weekend uh celebrating the american labor movement of course i'm joined today by dylan byers for a little bit of media dish how you doing dylan i'm doing great i i, I myself am just back from vacation and i'm feeling rested and ready to get back into the grind nice yeah it definitely feels like i know this always happens in dc when i was in dc there was the myth that like news doesn't happen in august like news does happen in august but it feels like yes very specifically this last week of august is slow times in whatever industry you're in um so i'm glad you're getting ready to get back into it hey you have a piece out that just dropped earlier in the week about brian stelter's firing from cnn uh, the headline, yeah. if you get Dylan's newsletter in your email, the headline was Helter Stelter. <laughs> we, you know, John and I, who typically steal your reporting for our Media Monday segments, um, have have chewed this over uh, a bit. But can you just like pull back the curtain a little bit on 
What does this say about Chris Licht and CNN's next steps? Is is someone else on the chopping block next in, in the talent roster? And what does this move signal about, about the next steps there? Yeah, here's what I would say. I, I think that Stelter being ousted from CNN was not altogether surprising i think even to him i don't think he i don't think he necessarily thought he was going to be fired but i think when it happened i think he saw the logic which is chris licht moves in under with a mandate from david zaslav and john malone to basically john malone the the, the powerful shareholder who we talk about often here at puck to depolarize departisan detoxify cnn and one reason stelter is such an obvious target for that is that part of trying to establish CNN's reputation as a nonpartisan, straight-down-the-middle news organization that is accessible to everyone is that your reputation often isn't defined solely by you. It is oftentimes defined by your critics. And so Uh say what you will, whether you are a fan of Brian Stelter's show or not, whether you found him to be holding people's feet to the fire in a very great way or whether you thought he was sort of sanctimonious and alarmist, like, Whatever you may think, he, along with a handful of other CNN personalities, had put himself squarely in the crosshairs of Fox News, the right-wing media, right-wing online digital media. And so it becomes, in a way, untenable to keep him at the network and also make the claim that you are eschewing the the, the sort of former anti-Trump, anti-Fox News opinionation machine if you keep around the guy who literally wrote the book about how terrible it was that Trump and Fox News were in bed together. And so I think he's sort of the obvious candidate in that regard. I think that if you look at him being put up as, as sort of, he he has even floated this idea when he talks to people about why he was fired. He says, you know, I'm not really sure, but uh, this is what the people who have talked to him have told me, mm-hmm. but I, you know, maybe I'm the sacrificial lamb. And if you wonder, okay, who are the other sacrificial lambs? I think you just ask yourself the same question. Who has built their reputation or built their own personal brand by being a sort of staunch anti-Trump, anti-right-wing media champion of the free press and truth and civility? And who is in the crosshairs of Fox News? So I think you look at the Jim Acostas, you look at the Brianna Keelers, and you think, well, maybe. I, certainly the conversation inside CNN right now among among uh-huh. people I've talked to is that those are the people who might be next to go. What about Don Lemon? Yeah, so a lot of people have been wondering if Don Lemon. I think the answer to that is no. I think that Don Lemon is actually a couple things. One, I think he's very, he's a valuable on-air talent. He didn't. Some people don't like him, but it turns out he's, he meets the bar for being good on television in prime time, and not a lot of people meet that bar. I think he is capable of doing one thing in the Zucker administration and then doing a very different thing in the Chris Licht administration. I also, just to, to speak in terms of very clear realpolitik, because that's the way these people think, media executives, is that mm-hmm. it's not a great look to cancel the only gay mm-hmm. black anchor in primetime. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that that would be great for the reputation of CNN. And and look, he's he's a very capable on-air person. Whether you like him or not, he's good at his job. He knows how to do that job. He can take breaking news on the fly. He can read from a teleprompter. Uh, he, he's, he's charismatic and good-looking. I think he's fine. I think he'll probably be be a part of Chris Lick's CNN in a new iteration from what he was as a part of Jeff Zucker's CNN. But those other people, I think, are much more vulnerable. But then I think, you know, the real question here is, at a certain point, what's happening, which I write about in the piece, is Chris Licht so far 
has just been sort of trying to like nip around the edges in order to de-Zuckerfy CNN. And at a certain point, he's actually, you know, getting rid of the breaking news banner, having more Republicans on toning down the, the, the volume and the tone of the rhetoric. At a certain point, he will be judged for the the decision, the proactive decisions he actually makes that are putting his own stamp on the network. And I think we're going to see that when he finally gets around to revamping the morning show and figuring out what he's doing in prime time at 9 p.m. Uh, I think that will ultimately be the test of his legacy. But we are still living through this very sort of weird, painful period where he's trying to almost like virtue signal to America oh. <laughs> and to his bosses <laughs> to prove that he's like fulfilling the mandate of of moving CNN's reputation back toward that down the middle, just the facts, ma'am, journalism that his bosses have called for from the get-go. So one thing you write about, too, is John Malone. Malone is, what's his, what's his official title as, as it relates to CNN? So he's, he is one of 13 board members at Warner right. Brothers Discovery. Right, okay. But at, with equal voting power, but we should just say very quickly, he is... A mentor to David Zaslav, someone who David Zaslav looks up to and emulates and has real influence and power over that company. And that's not to say that David Zaslav doesn't. He certainly does. But I think that David Zaslav and John Malone sort of are of one mind on a lot of things, I would say. Yeah, I mentioned Malone because after Brian was removed from the network, there were sort of like resistance types on Twitter who were, you know, lamenting how this is bad for democracy and, you know, Reliable Sources is an essential show uh, for democracy. Some of that yeah, was pretty overheated. <laughs> I'm not um, sure that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, think uh, dem- I don't but, think democracy will live or die based off of a know, Sunday CNN know, but, show. I know, I know. But, like, there was this one theory. I've, I saw it on several Twitter accounts that, like, John Malone was the, like, unseen puppet master here, and he told people at Chris Lick to get rid of Brian Stelter. And like, I kind of chuckled at that in part because of your reporting, which goes back to last fall on this stuff. But John Malone was public. I believe he was on CNBC or Fox Business last September saying, you know, I want CNN to get back to the basics of journalism and calling balls and strikes, et cetera. And so, you know, you and you write this in the piece. He was already just public about signaling where he wanted this network to go. And so that's probably where Licht was coming from. Like he didn't need John Malone to pick up the phone and be like, you need to fire Brian Stelter and Jim Acosta. He was already out there public with this stuff. And Licht came in with that mandate. And here we are. There's this weird conspiratorial thinking happening at CNN in in some corners of CNN right now, which is somewhat ironic for a network that has dedicated so much of the last six or seven years to trying to debunk conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm, Mm Mm-hmm. Like you say, like the invisible hand of John Malone and he's picking, you know, he's 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 calling all the shots and pulling all the strings. It's not unseen. There is no conspiracy. It's out there publicly. John Malone went out on CNBC. He's extremely influential. Anyone who knows that company understands his influence over over not over David. I don't mean that in a nefarious way, but he understands that the two the two guys are sort of 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 a mind and said that he wanted CNN to get back to doing journalism get away from the sort of like liberal opinionation anti-trump thing and it's all there i mean it's just he just laid it out and it's all it's all you could you could sort of see it coming before the merger even closed and so and before warner brothers discovery took over cnn so 
it's not there isn't there's nothing unseen here at play i mean maybe there was a phone call that i don't know about yet and and maybe one day i'll be able to report on that but it's all sort of there you don't need a phone call david zaslav john malone chris licht are all of the same mind which has been articulated by malone which is that cnn became way too alarmist and sanctimonious and polarizing in going after trump in going after fox news in touting itself as sort of like the last bulwark that was holding up, you know, democracy. That's not what the new ownership wants it to be. It wants it to be that traditional old fashioned, here's what happened today in London. Here's what happened today in Baghdad. Here's what's happening in Washington. And we'll have political debate and we'll have political panels, but we're going to represent the broad swath of viewpoints. And so again, the people who have been standing up there for the last six or seven years and making a name for themselves by being warriors mm-hmm. on, on behalf of democracy or journalism or whatever, uh, those, the, most of those people probably don't have a future at the network. That's right. You know, a study came out earlier this week from the Associated Press and the American Press Institute among, and they basically surveyed millennials and Gen Z, like the age group between like 16 and 40, I would quibble with that uh, (laughs) demographic. I feel like a 40-year-old and a 16-year-old don't have a lot in common. But they basically asked how basically people under 40 view the news media, how they engage with it. And far and away, the number one expectation for what Americans want from news is to keep it straight down the middle and just deliver facts and try to be fair. And, And even, I know this will blow some minds on the left, to be fair to both sides. Right. And to stop uh, you know, using news as entertainment or to promote conflict or to drive up ratings. I mean, it, you know, there's a Twitter conversation that that suggests the press, the mainstream press, their job is to call out injustice and call out bad actors, etc. Uh, I think consumers on the other hand, you know, that's why local news like is always rises to the top of the most trusted news sources you know it's just here are the facts here's the weather here's the sports (laughs) they don't want the opinion they don't want the editorializing uh you know we'll see what people over the age of 40 say about that but i have a sense that it's pretty similar um dylan i want to change topics real quick to away from television and to print slash digital um the new york times ben mullen and katie robertson reported this week that the washington post is facing some business struggles. They write that the organization is on track to lose money in 2022 after years of profitability. The digital ad revenue generated by the Post fell to roughly $70 million during the first half of the year, which is 15% lower than the first half of 2021. Fred Ryan, the CEO and publisher, has suggested cutting about 100 jobs. You know, the the Post has fewer than 3 million paying digital subscribers right now, uh, which is less than last year. Um, Why is the Washington Post struggling here on the business Mm -hmm. side while the New York Times is just surging in terms of subscribers and products. You know, both of these places have incredible reporters. Um, The Mm -hmm. Post has money, thanks to Jeff Bezos. What's the difference between the two places? Because they certainly see themselves as rivals. So during the Trump years, the Post and the Times essentially went, experienced the same thing, which, which a lot of media organizations, The Atlantic, New Yorker, CNN, whatever, everyone. The Trump bump. And if you actually look at the pay, the rate of growth 
at both the New York Times and the Washington Post, it was roughly equivalent. In fact, I think the rate of growth, subscriber growth at the Washington Post might have even been marginally higher. The difference between those two companies is that while they had that moment and while they were acquiring subscribers, the New York Times, largely due to the the sort of savvy of their of their previous CEO and their current CEO, cap- they capitalized on the moment and found all sorts of ways to basically pivot the New York Times from being a newspaper or a news website into being a sort of lifestyle brand that gave mm-hmm. them everything. Crossword games and word games and Wordle and cooking apps and the daily podcast and all these sort of things that I sort of, you know, I sort of think, I think about in terms of tote bags, like what is it that's going to make a person go from just being a subscriber to being someone who wants to carry around the tote bag, right? New York Times became a way that you sort of identified yourself. And oftentimes, on a day to day level, you might read one or two stories on the Times website, but you were using the cooking app nightly, you were playing Wordle daily. Uh, you were listening to the Daily Daily. The Washington Post doesn't have any equivalent to this. They just didn't do it. Um, they may have tried here and there in fits and starts, but they didn't capitalize in the, on the moment in the same way. And so after Trump went away and after the Trump bump went away, the reasons to, to either subscribe to the Washington Post or keep your subscription to the Washington Post weren't as readily apparent, despite all of the good journalism that happens there. And I think, honestly, I don't know if despite let's look at the organization. You've got Jeff Bezos at the top, who's who's also very still very involved in Amazon and is jetting, jet-setting around the world and is mm-hmm. trying to go to space and probably has his head in a thousand other things. You have Fred Ryan, who is a very smart guy, but is not necessarily a sort of very ambitious cutthroat media CEO. He is some, mm-hmm. you know, he, were, he, he was Reagan's chief of staff he still has a job sort of running the the Reagan Foundation. That, so he's sort of a Washington player. He's not necessarily like a globally minded, aggressive media CEO. And so maybe maybe that's where the disconnect happened. But for whatever reason, they didn't seize the moment that they should have seized. And, and by oh, by the way, like that moment may not come again. Now, the benefit that they have is that they still have Jeff Bezos as their owner and he may decide to you know flood a bunch of money into sort of playing catch up with the new york times Mm -hmm. uh or not but the most obvious chance they had to go toe-to-toe with the new york times has come and gone so and and i just want to stress this isn't to suggest the washington post is in financial trouble i mean like as far as news organizations go they're doing very well they're fine they have incredible reporters, uh, not just in Washington, but around the country and you know around the world. I think Fred Wyan wants to expand that. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you don't see people walking around with Washington Post tote bags. Uh, you right. do see people walking around with New York Times tote bags. Right. You know, maybe this is an opportunity for the Post to bring back um, my favorite slogan of all time: uh, "If you don't get it, you don't get it." Um, that's my recommendation <laughs> to the Washington Post. That's an, that's an, that's an old pre Bezos marketing <laughs> tag. <laughs> Dylan, thanks so much, man. And, uh, glad to have you back from vacation. Thank you, Peter. It's always a pleasure. Coming up, Ben and Eric asked the question, will Donald Trump end up behind bars? Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy here with Eric Gardner, our resident legal expert at Puck. Good to have you on the program. Ah, Thanks for having me. So I wanted to bring you on to talk about the latest developments in the Trump FBI saga. I don't think there's any listeners out there who have not been following this case. But, you know, in short, the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago last month. They were looking for a large number of classified and top secret materials that Trump absconded with when he left the White House, which he was not allowed to do, and then apparently resisted multiple attempts by the Department of Justice to get them back. There's still some uncertainty about all the details here, and Trump's people have been claiming that he had the rights to these documents and he made good faith efforts to return them. But the DOJ just fired back on Tuesday saying, in essence, no, you didn't. And here's 36 pages of a legal filing to show exactly how damning this case could be. Lawyers like to talk about bad facts in a case. What are the bad facts here for Trump? Yeah, well, let's let's uh, let's start at what Trump is trying to do right here. Uh, he really can't do that much 
at all. Um, what I see really what he's trying to do in court right now is performative to kind of like play to the base and show that he's, you know, doing something strong against the DOJ. But what he's technically attempting is to get uh, a judge, a judge that he himself appointed to uh, look at what was collected and to see if anything was privileged, whether anything is attorney-client privilege or executive privilege and, you know, stuff that, that the Justice Department really can't keep and use in court. That's it. And really, there's there's no real slowing this down. So, I, you know, even if he supposedly wins uh, this motion, it's not going to really do much for him. It's not going to go into the, you know, the legitimacy of the search. It's not going to stop uh, Trump from getting prosecuted. Uh, it's not going to do any of those sorts of things. It's just going to be, you know, just a little, you know, tiny impediment and, and not that much in itself. So Trump likes to use the courts. And so he, he had his lawyers, you know, file this motion. And really what it did was it gave the Justice Department an opportunity to respond and respond they did. And, you know, they uh, detailed some more things that we didn't know. And probably most importantly, they, they told us that they believe that Trump and, you know, his associates have likely tried to conceal evidence. And, you know, to, to the layperson, that really means that they believe that they could have an obstruction of justice charge against, against the president. And that's uh, no small thing. You know, they laid out, you know, some of the evidence and, you know, they even put a photograph of classified filings. Uh, it just looks very bad for, for Trump. Could Trump's own lawyers be in any kind of legal jeopardy? I mean, uh, allegedly one or two of them signed some kind of uh, document attesting to the fact that they had searched Mar-a-Lago for these documents and returned as many as the government was asking for. Uh, apparently that was not the case. Yeah, and it's one of the most incredible facts here. Uh, you know, of course, this lawyer created just a little bit of wiggle room because in the declaration, it was said that, you know, they relied on Donald Trump and, and all that. So, you know, perhaps there's some room in the future to wiggle out of this. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible that a lawyer would attest to the fact that a reasonable search was made and, and, and these documents were, were returned. And here we are, you know, months later, and, you know, we see lots of Lots of uh, classified uh, documents, you know, documents that were t had the markings of top secret. So clearly that wasn't the case. And yeah, this, this lawyer is going to have to, you know, answer for what happened. I think that the, the Justice Department will certainly be interested in that. Uh, whether or not they charge Trump, I, you know, they'll probably look at this lawyer too and, and, and to figure out what, what role this lawyer played in potentially hiding evidence and obstructing justice. Right. That's the big question is, what does this investigation actually lead to? And I, I want to read to you, this is the explanation from James Comey when he announced why there were not going to be charges against Clinton for her use of a private email server. Obviously, some parallels here with this case, a little bit different. But and, and this is the quote from him. He said, looking back at our investigations into mishandling or removal of classified information, we cannot find a case that would support bringing criminal charges on these facts. All the cases prosecuted involved some combination of clearly intentional and willful mishandling of classified information or vast quantities of materials exposed in such a way as to support an inference of intentional misconduct or indications of disloyalty to the United States or efforts to obstruct justice. We do not see those things here. Now, I go back and read that list. It seems like three of those four things do apply to Trump in this case. We don't know about 
indications of disloyalty per se, but everything else, I mean, willful mishandling, efforts to obstruct justice, that all seems like it's right here in plain view. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's pretty clear that the Justice Department could bring a case. But, you know, honestly, the, the, you know, the factors aren't just whether a crime has been committed. The, uh, the Justice Department and prosecutors, you know, take a look at other factors besides whether a crime has been committed. Uh, number one, can they prove this, uh, this crime beyond a reasonable doubt? You know, can they get a conviction for it? And two, and perhaps even most important is whether this is going to be good for the country or not. Um, the, the prosecutors have a, a wide degree of discretion here. They could conclude that this is just too controversial. Already they've set, sent signals that they don't, aren't prepared to do anything until the midterm elections, um, which is a little bit telling. So I'm not sure whether it is going to actually be any criminal charges filed. There very well could be. But if there aren't, I'm not going to be surprised because it's clear to me that they've investigated Trump for other things in the past and come to the, the conclusion that, you know, perhaps he did things. But, you know, we're going to err on the side of utmost caution here. And I think, you know, for better or worse, Trump is going to get that same degree of caution in this instance. But uh, he's certainly provoking the, the Justice Department here. Uh, and, you know, the, the Justice Department, as we learned this week, believes that um, there were efforts to conceal uh, obstruction. So I, I think that's definitely material. Yeah. So for what it's worth, you can still run for president if you've been charged with a crime. You can still run for president if you've been convicted of a crime. Although as far as I know, you cannot run for president if you were actually in prison. Although I don't know if that's a matter of law or just logistics. Probably logistics, because I, I think there have been uh, people who have run for office from, from jail. There are certain crimes, though, that would disqualify him. Maybe not, not for these crimes, although espionage, the mundane crime of espionage could come close. But he's also being investigated in other areas, including in Georgia. And, you know, if he participated in an insurrection, that, that, that might, uh, you know, uh, come very close to disqualifying from, from office. But, you know, it's uh, definitely, uh, you know, fluid situation. And uh, it's uh, going to be interesting to see how this plays out in the next few months, especially after the the election, when, you know, a lot of the uh, prosecutors will feel a much freer hand to move. All right, let me push you to make a prediction at the end here. Do you think the DOJ will bring charges? Do you think he would be convicted? And if he was convicted, do you think Trump would ever serve time? Hmm. <sighs> I honestly do not know whether he is going to be charged or not, but if you're going to force me to make a prediction, I would say, no, he will not be charged. That said, if he is charged, I do think he will be convicted. And if he is convicted, I do think that he will uh, face jail time. So there you go. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.